Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. It is I, your host, Cindy Howes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Kind of going outside the box today with uh, Alex Cuba, who isn't exactly a folk musician, but isn't exactly not a folk musician. Alex Cuba grew up 50 minutes west of Havana, immersed in the music of his town, Artemisa. His father, the musician Valentin Puentes, is a household name in the country and prioritized Cuban music in the house growing up. When Alex was six years old, Valentin told his son not to sing, leading Alex to concentrate on his bass guitar playing. As a teenager, Alex rebelled and started soaking in the sounds of American music. Music, blues, jazz, rock, and funk. This has led him to develop a unique style of Latin music that crosses cultures and appeals to people who don't even speak his language. He sings in English, but is most comfortable singing in Spanish. We talk about how even though a lot of his fans are English speakers, they often have an emotional reaction to his music, even though they don't know what he's saying. He expands on how emotions transfer via music no matter what language. In 1995, Alex was allowed to tour in Canada with his dad's band and met someone who would forever change his life. That would be his future wife, Sarah Goodacre. They eventually ended up married with children and living in Cuba. After a while, they moved closer to her family in Smithers, British Columbia, where they have single-handedly created a Latin music industry in the small Canadian mountain town. Despite not being able to work with major record labels due to the Cuban embargo with America, Alex has thrived as an independent artist with four Latin Grammys, three American Grammy nominations, two Junos, and numerous other accolades. We talk about what changes he experienced in himself while recording his latest album, Mendo, during the pandemic. Alex, like many musicians, was forced to change plans and ended up working on the album at his house while collaborating with other guest musicians remotely. We also talk about how he wanted the cover to reflect his African heritage. Brianna McCarthy, an artist from Trinidad and Tobago, illustrated the cover and Alex talks in depth about its meaning and importance. Really enjoyed this conversation and love, love, love the new album. It is definitely a great record to put on when you are just wanting to chill and enjoy and maybe even like dance a little bit. Okay, we're going to take a listen to a song where you can do a little dancing. This is Ablando Por Hablar. And then we'll get to our conversation with Alex Cuba on Basic Folk. Haz tú lo que te guste Aquí quien puede criticar A mí no me pregunten Qué es el bien y qué es el mal Los conceptos se van comprometiendo Yo sé que nadie ha visto algo igual La voz de una experiencia Que no tiene vigencia Hablando por hablar Alex Cuba, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast. It's so nice to talk to you. Likewise, I feel happy to be here talking to you today. You were born and grew up about 50 minutes west of Havana in Aratemisa, yeah. um, which is known for his musical community. Uh, and it sounds amazing there. Can you set the scene for what role the town played in your childhood and also like what is unique about the music there? 
Well, I've when I think about where I come from, from the town where I grew up, you know, um, Artemisa, uh, like you said, it about it's about an hour away from Havana, you know, going to the into the west. I have nothing but, um, um, you know, a sense of being very lucky, you know, to be to have been there at that time of my life, you know, growing up. And I say that because um, look at life, you know, it made me turn me into a musician and uh, I have made a career out of music. And so my beginning was very lucky because music was everywhere in my little town, you know, in the town of Artemisa. Music was so real, music was so important to most people over there. People, music was part of every day, you know, and... Uh, so everybody was playing music. Yeah, yeah, and I feel that um, that is, the, you know, the, the healthiest environment for a musician you can ever find, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that also, I mean, uh, that there is also one more step to it. I grew up across a place in my town called the House of Culture. Every little town in Cuba has a, a place like this. And what it is, is a government project uh, to teach for free, you know, um, kids to play every instrument they want, any instrument they want to, uh, but also to teach every other form of art. It's not to take them to any high level or anything. It's, it's basically to get them initiated into arts, you know. Is it free free for kids to go? Yes, absolutely free. And my father was um, the, uh, one of the guitar teachers at that center. That center was right across the street from my house. So I will go to school. Wow. The school was two blocks away. I will come back home around midday or something like that. We'll, you know, have lunch, change my uniform, and go across the street and spend, you know, the re the rest of the day there until my mom will yell at me, yell at me. No, I'm dinner's ready. Where are you? <laughs> you know, playing playing <laughs> any instrument I could find, doing you know painting, doing theater, doing dancing. Is um, yeah, I I, I feel that it, it was a very lucky place, you know, mm. for me to to be to to be growing to grow up with uh, you know art, and um. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, up to do, you know, today people ask me, when did you make the decision? Do you remember when did you make the, the decision to become a musician, um, you know, professionally? And my answer is the same. I, I don't remember if I ever made that decision because mm -hmm. music is so inside <laughs> of me um, from from early in my in my life that you know that decision didn't need to make to be made. I guess. <laughs> There's this like um, ongoing theme in your progression as a musician when it comes to like diving into different types of music and um, being open to different kinds of influences. And that's great to hear about, you know, the uh, origin of the Michael Jackson video and how that kind of opened up your, opened up your mind to American music and other kinds of music like jazz and mm -hmm. um, rock and funk. Um, do you know like where your adventurous spirit like when it came to like venturing outside of the cuban box like so to speak like where did that come from well a uh, the michael jackson thing happened when i was around 11 uh, then when i was 14 i um i saw somebody playing electric bass some band came came to my town from from havana to play a show and I went and I saw an electric bass, you know, there. And I'm like... Was that the first time you'd seen one? I think one? so, yeah. And I went, that, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's an electric bass. I said, oh my God, I, I think I love that. I think I love that. And um, he, he asked me... Did, <laughs> Why did you love it so much? I don't know. I, maybe because um, I thought it had a powerful sound, you know, and, and I was always skinny and not too tall. So I thought that maybe mm -hmm. if I play that instrument, I would get to be powerful. I don't know what it is, but it was. But I, it totally, mm -hmm. totally looked cool to me. The, uh, I was really 
captivated and almost hypnotized by by the the sound of it, you know. And uh, and my dad said, yeah. "Do you like that? You, do you want me to try to find you one?" And I say, "Please, yeah, of course, I love to get one." And then in in, mm-hmm. in like two three weeks, he managed to find me one, and I began to play it. Uh, first, I was you know listening to Rex to whatever I could find, trying to mimic mm-hmm. whatever I was hearing in there. And then I found a teacher, a bass teacher in in my town, that um, uh, walked me through a lot of music. And it, it was so funny because uh, the first lesson that he gave me when I showed up at his place, he said, "Play, play a little bit for me there." I started playing. I started slapping the bass, you know, because at that point I, I was already in love with slapping, you know, like you know. And he said, "Ooh, you like you yeah. like funk and you like you like American music." Hmm, I can see that. You didn't know what you were playing, right? No. And he said, uh, "Okay, here you go." He went to his, you know, the bedroom, and, and found about ten cassette tapes, and came back and said, "Here you go. Come back next month." That was the first lesson. When I went back, ne- what what were the tapes? Oh my God! Everything from Marcus Miller to. Um, Jacob Astorius to uh, Rom Carter to John Patitucci to you name it, all of the American bass players. And even actually a Canadian, Alain Caron from the band Yuseb. When I uh, went back to see him the following month, I knew a lot of the solos already by memory. That's how much I listened mm-hmm. to all of the tapes. And then he knew exactly what my taste or what, what was that I was looking forward to learn more in music, you know? And that, that's why mm-hmm. he gave me that type of lesson because he wanted to somehow uh, wake up my sense, my you know, my sensibilities, and and then get going mm-hmm. from there. And then from that point, we study, of course, theory, you know, mu- uh, music, reading, writing, all of that. And yeah, up to the up to today, uh, he left a huge impression in me, you know, because I think he yeah he made it clear. He made a lot of things clear, you know, for, for me. Yeah. And that is uh, something What amazing. a good ear, too, yeah. for him to recognize that in you. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and, and like I cool. said, I find when I'm playing Cuban music, I feel the same that I feel when I'm playing American music and I'm grooving. Um, like mm-hmm. the concept of grooving is something a little different than when you play Cuban music. We don't think of it as grooving, like being in, you know, like pocket, deep pocket, and you know, laying it down in Cuba because mm-hmm. Cuban music is very old. Is um, a lot of it comes from from the rumba sort of thing. Rumba is very constantly imp- improvising kind of thing, you know. So it, it is two different things that I think somehow at the end they become the same, but the way you think about it is completely different. And I re- and mm. I remember when I started finding that common thread between American and Cuban music and all of that. It was, it was a lot of fun, you know. Um, your dad told you when you were younger, <laughs> he told you not to sing. Yeah. Sorry. He wasn't yeah. was um, being a bad, a bad person. <laughs> I'm going to explain why. <laughs> yeah, explain why. And you said it took me a lot of courage to move far away from my culture in order to find my voice and what did finding your voice look like in practice well um at the point i began writing songs and trying and i started to, you know to try to sing them yeah, very being very shy being very to myself i was already a uh, recognized by many in my town as a good bass player I mm. was uh, around 15 16 right and mm. uh, I started writing because at the same time I don't know poetry started cultivating me I started writing songs you know this melody started coming to me and then I started writing and I would call my dad and I said dad what do you think of the can I just play something for you yeah, sure sure and I would play a song and he would say um Oh, nice! I love the, the 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 image you're giving here with this metaphor or whatever. Maybe try to change this other word so that this one sounds, you know, give me whatever advice you could. And then at the end, he will say, 
but don't 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 sing don't sing because I, I don't think you have a a voice of a singer um at that point it was my brother the one that was showing all kinds of uh intention you know and talent i guess to be a singer because he had everything recognizable in cuban culture in his voice you know the cuban sounding voice is like a trumpet you know what i'm saying very bright yeah you gotta be you have to sing over everybody exactly, commanding a 16-piece band you know like ah, you gotta have that kind of voice which is fine if you have it mm -hmm. that's amazing but i didn't have that kind of voice i had a different voice i had what north america taught me and getting outside of my culture taught me as soulful you know which is the term that believe it or not doesn't exist in Cuban music people don't think that way hmm. because if you're bright and loud like that it's difficult to be soulful that way it's, it's that right. your voice kind of, kind of kind of evokes a different feeling you, you evokes the feeling of like contemplative exactly exactly thoughtful yeah And so my dad was uh, completely, because he never heard a voice like mine, I guess, you know, in Cuban music. And he was completely sure mm -hmm. that uh, my voice wasn't to be, a, you know, the voice of a singer if I wanted to pursue, a, you know, a career in music. And, um, mm -hmm. and also it's coming from, you got you to gotta understand, uh, uh, you know, how, um, you know, maybe Cuba, of course, is, you know, it's been a... Uh, you find many bands that play, for example, without amplification, that, uh, you know, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, right? And of course, that scene like that, you gotta, you gotta have a big voice, otherwise nobody hears you, 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 you know what I'm saying? But in... Just like a general question about like a, somebody in, who sings like that in a Cuban band, like, are they able to maintain their voice for a long no, time or does it just all. blow not out vocal cords? Not at all. I think, I think, yeah, I don't think they, they last that long. I, I, I think it's possible. Wow, yeah. I don't think it's possible. It's, it's like you, you get to the point where you lose your voice for sure. Mm. And um, so um, just to make a long story short, when I moved to Canada and we managed to record a first album here that I did with my brother, on that album I'm singing, I think, two songs as a lead singer. And uh, when mm -hmm. the album finally made it to, to, to Cuba, to my parents' house, uh, my mom tells me, because my dad wouldn't tell me, right? Of course, he's not going to let me see that part of him. <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Uh, that when one of the songs got, it started playing, he was like captivated. And then when I started singing, he was like in trance. And then, I don't know, a few more seconds into it, my dad was in tears. He was crying. Um, oh, and then he couldn't, beautiful. he couldn't listen to that song for, for about three weeks. Every time my mom will play the <laughs> album, he will, you know, walk up to the CD player and skip that song. Right. <laughs> and then I had the, the, the ability, the chance, I mean, the opportunity to, um, to ask him that, what are you, why, why can't you listen to this song? What happened? What did you cry? You know, things like that. Right. And, uh, he said, uh, he kept saying. Well, it's, it's a beautiful song, and I'm like, okay, thanks. What else can you, What else can you say about it? <laughs> oh, it's, it's a beautiful song, you know. I'm okay. What else can you say? About it? Well, you're singing with a lot of feelings, <laughs> and that was a very interesting and important moment, I think, in my career because what it meant feeling, in my opinion, was confidence. Yeah. And that confidence, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. that confidence, what a dad. What co that confidence was given to me, given to me by this country, by this, you know, by going outside of my, my culture and finding my space. Yeah. Cuba would hammer me, you know, like, oh, you don't have a voice to sing because I don't sound like anything that they heard before, you know. So I'm mm -hmm. like, God, you know, has his own plans and he, he works in mysterious ways, as mm -hmm. religion says, I guess. <laughs> It's it's interesting to think about you coming from a small town um, and now you have ended up in a small town yeah. in Smithers, British Columbia, um, which they couldn't, I mean, they couldn't be more different um, except in the fact that they are small towns. So how did that beginning of like thriving musically in a small town 
and living in small town life set you up for success in the future? Um, well, when I came here to this small town where I live now, Smithers, uh, I had already been in Canada for four years. I, I went to the city of Victoria first, and then from there we will come every every Christmas and like every even every summer if I had if I had the time uh, to visit some family here, and that kind of I don't know uh, made me see a lot of uh, of the interior life and the way. People living, in, you know, in small towns in Canada, right? I of of course I loved mm -hmm. a lot of it. I find a lot of similarities to the town where I come from, because in small towns everybody knows each other. You know, people walk on the street, they know you or you know them, and that kind of vibe. Uh, the decision to come here was basically was based on 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 family. Uh, we had our mm -hmm. second child, Sarah and I. And I was traveling a lot, and it was kind of necessary to to find the support of family. It was either going to be Cuba, go back to Cuba, um, or, you know, Smithers. Um, I think those were our two options kind of thing. I opted to come here. Mm -hmm. And um, because of, uh, you know, being able to travel easily and freely and all of that, right? Um, mm -hmm. I was still a Cuban citizen when I moved here. A, a year later, I became a Canadian citizen. But anyway, this little town has an airport. The airport is like four minutes away from my house. Uh, it's very easy to travel from here. Or I was, at least before COVID. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got here. No, I'm not going to tell you that I had a master plan. I mean, uh, uh, nine months or, so, or something, you know, after uh, we moved here, yeah. I... I I got to the um, to that moment where I was like, okay, how am I gonna do music here from you know from here now? What am I done? You know, and how are things gonna happen from here? And um, but it's kind of like you you kind of already had that foundation inside of you from your hometown. Yeah, yeah. I always I always yeah. felt very in music. I I have felt all of my life very capable and very prepared. You know, um, I guess it's the creative mind too. You know. And uh, mm -hmm. but in order to express myself musically, I didn't see, if, I didn't think that musicians in town were, you know, going to be able to play my music, my kind of music, all of that, right? And it slowly started mm -hmm. to happen. I I have um, I have to say that I I've, I've been very lucky in you know having the the right support beside me. It's, you know, Sarah is always encouraging me the right way, and she's like, okay, you know what. If you believe in yourself, you can make it happen from anywhere. And that's all you needed, I needed to hear, right? So I started playing with kids here, like younger people than me, and and teaching them my music, and then finding new lights, new ways, you know, in whatever they were giving me back, you know, their interpretation of, of what I was teaching them. It started to, 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 um, uh, to, to make my mind very open, you know? And, and that has mm -hmm. a lot to do with my sound today because it made me change from a Cuban strictly that think that thinks strictly in a Cuban way to a Cuban that thinks more universally. You know, basically, mm. see the core of your culture, see the core of your of your music, use a, its essence, but be free in, in creating. You know what I mean? Because you you create for the world and Canada also not having a a Latin market in front of me, you know, it rather mm -hmm. been a scary thing at least in terms of creativity has been for me a very inspirational thing because uh, I say okay I don't have a Latin market here but I have the world I guess and my aims are all are creating something universal something that goes beyond even my culture, you know? And that mm -hmm. definitely has created a sound for me. Yeah, yeah, you said Canada made me explode with creativity and you talked about, like, the sense of the space the country has, particularly yeah. in Smithers. Like, it looks, it it just, like, 
huge mountains in the background and small town life, and it, it just looks really beautiful there. I For cannot you. even explain what what it does to me, you know, in terms of creativity. But one thing, one thing yeah. that I can tell you is that uh, that um, I've done it over and over and over and over and over. You know, eight albums now, and creativity always comes. It keeps coming back to me. I feel that uh, I'm connected, you know, to the earth, you know, from this place. Every time mm. I go into a creative uh, moment, you know, that sometimes it's like a wave and sometimes it's like really aggressive for me. I've been in, in moments where I'm writing like four songs at the same time. They are completely different, one to the other. Wow. Wow, wow. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that adventurous spirit, Alex. <laughs> Thank you. I was listening to your record a million times, and the first track, uh, Ablando, is it Ablando y Hablar? Yeah, Ablando por Hablar. I, I, like, on the t like fifth listen, I was like, wait a minute, this is just the human voice clapping, <laughs> snapping, and the upright bass. But it's like... <laughs> you, like the first time you put it on you're like what a great club hit this is like this is such a banger um but it's so simple like and, and that is a, a great example of how you keep your music simple yet complex so i'm wondering like how do you connect with both of those different aspects like simplicity and complexity if you prefer one or, over the other and how you maintain the balance between the two in music, especially keeping like your like Anglo audience in mind. Well, I got to tell you, um, I discovered early in my career kind of what was my real taste in music. I discovered very early that I'm no matter what, no matter even if I try to escape out of it, I'm a classic. I like some you know things that that feel that they've been on, on earth on earth forever, you know? And I like that kind of vibe mm -hmm. in the music. Uh, I also discovered very early that the music that I was creating was loved by both the musician and the non-musician. Even though um, I, I was lucky, very lucky to work with a producer on my first album that left a big impression in me. He in one of the tracks, he, he, I was like, can we do that again? I want to lay some more notes on the bass. And after I did it like three times and I kept missing, um, he got, you know, came to me and said, hey, buddy, I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, you have a beautiful voice, and, which is why we are making this record and I believe in you and all of that. Uh, don't try to get, you know, in front of your voice. Don't try to complicate what you're doing because I think the, the element that is going to make you connect with the people is your voice. And from that point forward, they are not going to care who the bass player is. <laughs> so I'm sorry to say it that way. Yeah. But that's exactly what he said to me. And I'm like, wow, okay. Uh, Great advice. Absolutely, absolutely. But then I discovered uh, that music comes this way out of me. Uh, and because I, I do it so naturally, it has a certain flow that to the ear, to the people that are listening, it sounds easy. But when you try to play it, it's a different thing. I, had, I have many, many stories about that. You know, I have, for example, I made it to towns, I mean, to cities like LA, and I, you know, hiring musicians and I talk to bass players or whatever, and especially bass players because that's, that's uh, still my main instrument. Although I play guitar uh, and all of that, and, you know, my main instrument is still the bass. And I get things like, I'm just telling all of this to give you an idea of, of how, what this means for me, you know. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm like, okay, we're going to play this song and that song and that song. Yeah, okay. And the, and the musician always goes, oh, that's fine. Okay, cool. No, I got this. This is not too difficult. An hour later, they call to say, What? Have you played here? What did you play here? I can't, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, you know, John Coltrane said that the definition of talent is the ability to make something difficult sound simple. And 
Yeah. To add a, li- a little bit more to that, you can't, you can't manifest it if it's not in you. If you think about it, if you try to make it consciously, do it consciously, it will always feel force. That's something that has to come out of you when you are not thinking. That's something that has to happen on its own. Some people have it or have it. Some people don't, you know? And I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I don't know if I have it or not, but people keep, tell, people keep, keep telling me that. It's like, how you make this complex thing sound so simple? I, and my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> That's the way it came to me. I'm only, <laughs> I'm, I'm only receiving here. You know, I was making coffee one morning and that bass line lands in my head. And I ran to my bass and I started playing and I'm like, oh my God, I love this. This is a great hook. I love this. Wait wait a minute. (laughs) And one thing that I really uh, practice on on the recording of of this album and I'm in love with it. I think I'm going to, that's going to be my thing from now on. My studio is is right in my living room. I have it set up here. So I'm on the bass. I loved it. And I said, wait a minute. Jump to my computer, set up everything, and recorded it. What I'm saying is that I, on this album, I, I try to really cut down to as, po- as little as possible the time between an idea landing in my mind and me recording it. Because to me, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a huge amount of information happening at that moment. It's the truth. It's the really most true a truthful version of, 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 that, of that musical idea. If you wait until tomorrow, you're going to be recording a, a, a version of what already existed in your mind once. So mm. I really enjoyed that from this album. I did a lot of that on this album. And that song that you just made as an example is a good uh, example of it. And also when I recorded, you know, that same day later, like a couple hours later or something, I ended up doing the whole demo with no lyrics yet. I had a complete melody. And then I played it for my engineer on the phone, over the phone, and he said, hmm, I, um, uh, I challenge you not to put any more instruments on that song. I said, the body, this sounds <laughs> complete to me. That's it, I'm not gonna go anywhere else. And that's what I did. Of course, we, we ended up having two versions with it, of it. A, mm-hmm. The one that closes the album has, a, it's like bookends, it has a, like big 13 horns or ketra. That's the big beat. Yeah. And yeah. it happened, it happened because I, I, I was working out the songs that I want, I wanted uh, horns on, uh, which that one wasn't, of course, but I made the mistake to show it to the arranger in Cuba. And he's like, hold on a minute, buddy. I'm going to put horns on this one, whether you want to or not. This, uh, this is your problem from this point forward. I love this tune and he's screaming out loud to me, horns, horns. <laughs> <laughs> and he came out with a killer, killer, killer arrangement. When he sent it back, I, I, I was confronted with having to make the decision if I had the song twice on the album or if I compressed the two versions and made one. But I, I just kept loving the simple one because of the simplicity mm-hmm. of it. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I created two different versions and have them. That way, on I the like album. it. I like that it open it opens with the simple. Thank you. Version because it's yeah. And to answer your question, I, the reason why I I um, did it that way is because uh, what I have learned in Canada, uh, my effort to communicate my music to the Anglo ear has taught me a lot of that simplicity. Has taught me to be essence more than anything else. And that simple version that opens the album is the essence of the song. You know, you can't you can't get any more essential than that. I guess you know, just the bass and claps and yeah. vocals. So uh, that that sort of um, um, gift, I think, in a lot of ways, that I have um, of seeing two different cultures, you know, and understand both of them, is what makes me create mm-hmm. that way. I think. It's interesting to think um, the album title Mendo in Cuban, you just mentioned the word essence. That's what it means. It means essence or soul. And you said that's where this album comes from. Exactly. I want to hear more about the significance of a Cuban musician creating music 
from the soul while he is at home in the Canadian mountains. <laughs> it's, there is so many things wrong, wrong with that, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> or not, or it's so many things right. <laughs> the only thing that I, that, I, that, I, that I can say, though, is that my music doesn't speak of any regrets or any, uh, I don't know, feelings of loneliness of, or, or missing anything or a country or your country that you left behind. It, 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 I think my music speaks of the new world that I found. And for some reason, it took me a while to understand how is it that I write music, what triggers music for me, etc., etc. I tell you one little secret. When I'm, or if I'm upset, depressed, or something, or stressed out, or whatever, at that very moment, I don't like music. In fact, I hate music at that very moment. But as soon as I, as I'm happy about something, or for something, or for whatever, songs come rushing down to me, for me. And it took me a while to understand that, and and I even went through a moment of being kind of embarrassed about it because I was thinking, hmm, are people thinking that? Uh, I take a whole bunch of drugs to make music, and, and what you hear is just Alex high, super high, and of course life is so beautiful when you're high. I don't know what that, <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, I'm like eee. but then I realized that um, no, 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 true, true will always be, we'll, we'll always find a way to get into people, you know, people's heart and all that, and, and I embraced it, and that's how I create music, that's how it comes to me, that's who I am. I am when Alex, when you realized that i I watched um that documentary I think that c b c did on did on you where you said right it was quite a trip to realize that I'm a messenger of happiness, which is so nice um when you realized that, how did it change your approach to to writing and how did it change your relationship with um with like being like nicer to yourself or more gentle with yourself when you weren't feeling good? Well, I think it made me embrace it more, embrace myself, my type of creativity. And he started opening doors for me to, to really go full on creatively, you know, and no hold back on anything that has to, to do with the creative process, you know, because a, if, if, you know, as you are discovering yourself as a musician, you go through those times where, you know, somehow where you feel after your, your record came out, whatever, you feel that you maybe held back a little on something, you know? I think it happens to, to a lot of us, you know, on, on, on the journey of getting to know ourselves creatively. But uh, no, what it did is, is, is allow me to embrace it. And I think that shows... In, in what you hear, you know, um, most recently, actually, I have to say, because uh, there, is, there is no holding back, there is no, there is no second guessing who I am or, you know, or what, what kind of song this is, nothing, you know, it's like... In thinking about the way you feel about Cuba, I did read that you weren't able to get a major label record deal because of the embargo with America that uh, Bush declared with Cuba and yeah. you started your own label and you've done well. Um, and I hear that Cuba for a while was like seemingly ignoring your music where your dad um, is a household name, your brother's getting some recognition. So given all that, like how do you maintain a good relationship and a love for your home country? Is it, is it difficult to do that? Well, um, that's a wonderful question actually. I um a, a good path to a human being, I guess, making peace with everything that you have accomplished, everything that you have around you at the moment. I think the taking responsibility for your own life, you know, taking responsibility for everything. That's how you get to make peace, I think. And I take responsibility for everything I've done. I feel that my country, where I come from, doesn't owe me anything. And I don't owe my country anything. So um, looking at it from that point of view, it set me free. And therefore, 
I feel I actually I went on the way to to have an interesting feeling. I feel that um, it's okay, you know, for for I mean, I feel that I, I don't. It won't feel right for me to go to Cuba, back to Cuba, for example, or go to Cuba on you know to create some sort of media tour or whatever and give myself six months to become famous in Cuba. I don't feel that that's right because I I don't live there and I feel that if I was to do that, let's say I'm all powerful at landing Cuba with a lot of money in my pocket, start paying people left and right to put me on TV 24-7 or something. I don't feel that uh, that would be right because um, I would be taking somebody else's space, somebody, somebody else's that didn't leave the country, somebody that is there and it has a purpose in time and space. Why should I come, you know, from Canada and say, I want to, you know, I think it, it won't feel right to me. Uh, so I have left it to time, to the time. I have left it to the universe. I have left it to God. If I am to be recognized in the country where I come from, I think it will happen. And it would be most beautiful to know, it would be so beautiful to know that I didn't force it, that it happened on its own. Mm. That's, yeah. that's what I think. It is amazing to think of how emotions can translate through music than more than just languages. Because like a lot of your fr- fans are English speakers and they have some serious emotional reactions and emotional connections to your songs um, sung sung in Spanish, even though they don't know what you're saying. Absolutely. Something so so mysterious, you know, up to this day it remains something very mysterious to me. The best I, the closer I can get to, to an explanation is that melodies, they, they contain a huge amount of inf- information. It's, a, it's amazing how much information a melody has. A melody can trigger emotions big time, right? That's why we have instrumental music, etc., etc. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, the only explanation, one of the explanations that I could have about that is that obviously I put a lot of care into my melodies. I, a lot of energy goes, I, 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 at this point of my career, I know when I'm getting a new melody for a song, I know with, which, within seconds, if it's something that is going to be an Alice Kua signature, of course, you know, which is most of the time a unique sort of melody. Or if it's something that I have to, mm-hmm. or if it's something that I have to let go because it's just, you know, some, a, a, com, com, some transmission from from a universe from where I don't usually get my transmissions from. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, melodies, the melodies, yeah. they, and people feel it. It's unbelievable. I, I'm still, you know, to wrap my head around that, wrapping my head around that. It's cosmic, man. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, on your recent albums, including on your new album, Mendo, you have collaborated with uh, musicians from all over the place, um, not just Canada and the U.S., but, all, but Canada and the U.S., as well as musicians from Cuba, Peru, Spain, Mexico, to name a few. What kind of differences do you see um, in yourself when you're working with musicians from Canada and the U.S. versus Spanish-speaking Latin American countries, if there's, like, different energies or approaches there? Um, sometimes I find a little uh, different, or small different ways of, of saying the same thing with different words, you know, because um, our... Uh, uh, Spanish language is, is very rich throughout the whole continent. Um, and sometimes, you know, a collaborator will tell me, I'm not comfortable saying this word, for example, that a, that a Cuban person would be completely comfortable saying, things like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I am happy to say that um, that um, the, how do you say, the common de- denominator in everything I've done in terms of collaborations with um, singers from Latin America, is that they all um, recognize a beauty, you know, the beauty 
um, and the elegance with which I approach or try to, you know, to approach my music every time, you know, and no matter, mm -hmm. no matter, no matter what country, uh, which also happens too in English, you know, I, 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 at the beginning of my career in Canada, I was like, there was a moment when my brother told me, we got to get the hell out of here because these people are never going to get what we do. And I said, no, I think you're wrong there. Excuse me. I think, I think I have a different way about this. Uh, I believe in beauty. Beauty is something universal. If we focus on doing something extraordinarily beautiful, people are going to get it. And that has been, mm. that has been my, my life. Yeah. You wanted the album cover to reflect your African heritage and Brianna McCarthy, who's an artist from Trinidad and to Tobago, uh, in illustrated the cover to reflect that. Um, what do you know and how do you connect to your African heritage? Like how, and how does the album cover make you feel when you look at it? Oh, what a great question. I, one thing about me is that I am very percussive in almost everything I do. I had to learn in Canada to roll that back a bit when I wanted to and use it when I want to. We should also mention, was your, were your first instrument that was the claves? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Right, the sticks when you were four? Yeah, playing for a national TV show when I was four. Um, and so I, I, I think very rhythmically, you know, um, all pretty mm -hmm. much all LSQA music is, is groovy, you know. Um, and, and so <laughs> dynamically, I have learned, you know, producer tricks and stuff like that to, to use that and to not use it, you know, kind of to play with that, right? Um, mm -hmm. I know that Africa in me through the percussion, I know that Africa is, is in me through the, the, the rhythmical of the rhythmic feelings that I have about music, I know it's in there. And uh, I feel it very deep, uh, deeply, you know, it's like a groove or something. It has a, a, a special place in my heart. For me, it's very important that music has groove, that music has that deep sense of pocket. And that's how I, I think I, I connect to, to mm. Africa. It was a beautiful coincidence how we ended up uh, reaching out to Brianna McCarthy. Uh, my, my wife bought a book, uh, a book that, though, that was being promoted by CBC Radio. CBC Radio does something called Canada Reads. And then they, the people vote and then they, they choose a winner, no? And this book was being mm -hmm. number two at the moment. But she buys, you know, we are walking down here, you know, Main Street here in Smithers and she goes into the bookstore and, and there was the book on display. And she said, oh, I'm going to buy this. Boom, she bought it. I looked at it and I saw on the cover an interesting painting. It did, almost didn't look like a penny because it's been processed in a way a... And the colors that were used, they, they, were, they, they looked almost not like a painting. It was more like a photo or something like that. But it was a, a, mm. a painting of two twins, a female sisters. A, and and it, it caught my eye, the elegance of it. You know, how mm. elegantly, you know, this person that did it was portraying the, 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 the African diaspora, you know. And I'm like, wow, wait a minute, mm. like that. So we reached, reached out to her because of that, because I, I thought she has a, a very elegant way of, you know, painting, honoring the, the African diaspora around the world, you know? And, and I couldn't be any more happy with what she did. But for my album, when I look at it, I see something very spiritual. When I look at the cover of my album, I see something very, very deep and spiritual. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what I wanted it to be. Before I let you go, Alex, I want to do a quick round of questions for you. Okay. Um, it is called The Lightning Round. Will you participate? Okay. All right. Here we go. What was the first song you learned on the guitar? It was uh, El Condor Pasa. What's your karaoke song? What's my karaoke song? Mm -hmm. I don't have one. Sorry. <laughs> never been to karaoke. Never done karaoke before. <laughs> That's that's actually like pretty common. Okay, cool. <laughs> but it's still funny. Um, 
Do you like dogs or cats or something oh, else? I'm not a pet person uh, at all. I don't understand love for pet. <gasps> Weird. Really? <laughs> totally. Yeah, I don't understand it. You don't have any pets? I had, but because of my kids and stuff. But right now we don't have any pet. Sometimes it pierces my heart to know that uh, some humans will treat a, a, a pet better than, than, than another human being. That's why I, that's mm. why I don't understand it. <laughs> I respect that. Uh, how do you take your coffee? Uh, no sugar, little, a little cream. Same. Very strong. <laughs> Who is the nicest musician you've ever met? Oh, um, the nicest musician I ever met. He's a bass player from New York City. His name is Robert Just. He played with me once in a while. Nice. Amazing guy. What was the first album you bought with your own money? What a beautiful question. It was a self-titled Jacob Astorius album. All right, here's the last one. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? Wow. Most beautiful place I ever visited. When I, I was flown on a helicopter up the mountain here in Smithers and dropped off on the other side of the mountain and left there for five hours with my family, with food and everything we needed. Yeah. And where was that? The other side of the biggest mountain around here in Smithers. Oh. It's called Mount H- Hudson, Hudson Bay Mountain. Wow. And it's, so it's, you can see the mountain, but you just went to the other side. Is the other side quite wild? It's quite amazing. You can see the whole valley from up there. It's unbelievable. We had an amazing, you can see a whole wow. bunch of mountain goats and everything. <laughs> Um, but the, that's great. The, instead of camping, it's um, a clamping. I think they call it. I don't remember. But yeah, it was a gift. Clamping. It was a gift from from tourism and Smithers. Uh, when I got my my okay. se- my third Grammy nomination, they wanted to do something for me, and that's what they did. <laughs> it was fun. That's great. What a great gift. Yeah. And I, I had to, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it with my whole family. You know, they took us up there in a holico- helicopter and uh, wow. we had a cooler full of uh, food and drinks. And there you go. Bye. See you in five hours. <laughs> five hours. <laughs> the shopper came back for us. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was so wonderful to to learn about you and and to talk to you. And my pleasure. I love your record and wish you so much success. Thank you. This has been a beautiful conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me. Basic Folk This Week was produced by Laura McCarthy. Alex Stanton of Townspeople composes our music. Basic Folk is on the American Songwriter Podcast Network. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Thank you so much for checking out the pod today. And please go back and listen to other episodes, especially episodes that feature our brand new guest host, Lizzie No. You can find Basic Folk wherever you get podcasts or at basicfolk.com. All right, we'll talk to you Next time. Mm, Bye.